Can I begin? It's Raju Kumari. I did it, I did it, I did, I did it all by myself. And you're checking out Life Force on Ruckus Avenue Radio. You're listening to Life Force on Ruckus Avenue Radio, global South Asian radio exclusively in partnership with Dash Radio. Today, as always, we tap into the forces that awaken our lives. I'm your host, Shilpa Agarwal, author of the best-selling novel, Haunting Bombay. I began Life Force in 2018 while grieving the loss of my beautiful, amazing dad, and also recovering from a major car accident, surgery, sickness, and generally feeling like everything was falling apart. And yet, during it all, there was a rising up of something inside of me, a force of awakening and transformation that not only flowed into my life, but into my art. Tapping into my own life force has been a truly humbling and powerful experience and one that has uplifted every aspect of who I am. For the past three seasons of Life Force, I've been honored to speak to people from all over the globe who carry that life force inside them. Now, I'm excited to invite you to season four of Life Force, The Artist's Journey. Starting Sunday, today, we'll explore the creative process from a revolutionary perspective that transforms not only ourselves as artists, but the world around us. As an artist, academic, and healer myself, I will be taking you on an artistic journey, whether you are in the first stages of creating something or the last, and whether or not you think of yourself as an artist. We all have aspects of our lives in which we are creative, so can we all consider ourselves artists in some ways, even if we're not professional artists? This season, we're going to be exploring many topics, but I want to first start talking about storytelling as life force and life forks as the crux of storytelling. And I'm going to start by reading a passage from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, which I bought. I'm looking at the inside cover. I marked it with the date in which I bought it, which was 1997. Because at the heart of the artist's way is this concept of life force, life force as creativity. So I'm going to quote from Julia Cameron, quote, For most of us, the idea that the creator encourages creativity is a radical thought. We tend to think, or at least fear, that creative dreams are egotistical something that God wouldn't approve for us. After all, our creative artist is an inner youngster and prone to childish thinking. If our mom or dad expresses doubt or disapproval for our creative dreams, we might project that same attitude onto a parental God. This thinking must be undone. 
what we are talking about is an induced or invited spiritual experience. I refer to this process as spiritual chiropractic. We undertake certain spiritual experiences to achieve alignment with the creative energy of the universe. If you think of the universe as a vast electrical sea in which you are immersed and from which you are formed, opening to your creativity changes you from something bobbing in that sea to a more fully functioning, more conscious, more cooperative part of that ecosystem. As a teacher, I often sense the presence of something transcendent, a spiritual electricity, if you will, and I have come to rely on it, transcending my own limitations. I take the phrase inspired teachers to be quite a literal compliment. A higher hand than just my own engages us. End quote. And Julia Cameron goes on to say, I'm going to read one more paragraph. Quote, the heart of creativity is an experience of the mystical union. The heart of the mystical union is an experience of creativity. Those who speak in spiritual terms routinely refer to God as the creator, but seldom see creator as the literal term for artist. I am suggesting you take the term creator quite literally. You are seeking to forge a creative alliance, artist to artist, with the great creator. Accepting this concept can greatly expand your creative possibilities. As you work with the tools in this book, as you undertake the weekly tasks, many changes will be set in motion. Chief among these changes will be the triggering of synchronicity. We change and the universe furthers and expands that change. I have an irreverent shorthand for this that I keep taped to my writing desk. Leap and the net will appear. It is my experience both as an artist and as a teacher that when we move out on faith into the act of creation, the universe is able to advance. It is a little like opening the gate at the top of a field irrigation system. Once we remove the blocks, the flow moves in. Again, I do not ask you to believe this. In order for this creative emergence to happen, you don't have to believe in God. I simply ask you to observe and note this process as it unfolds. In effect, you will be midwifing and witnessing your own creative progression. End quote. When I first picked up The Artist's Way in 1997, I was a graduate student working in post-colonial literature. And to be a writer was a dream. I didn't dare call myself an artist back then, though I had written um, short stories and poetry. And I picked up this book to find a way to express what I wanted to express and to find a path that was calling out to me. And I want to connect that now a little bit to writing my first book because I think we all have this starting point. And I'm always interested in what is the seed? 
What is the seed that inspires your story? Most often, it is something from our own lives or our own ancestors' lives that pulls us. And for me, there were a number of things that inspired me to write my first novel, Haunting Bombay. And when I started it, I had no idea how many years the process would take or where I would end up. I just knew that the story needed to be written. And part of my process was learning how to just be a creative channel. When I was a kid and I was in India and visiting relatives, I, I heard the story of a child, an infant child that had drowned while being bathed in a bucket by her ayah. And it just kind of stayed with me because people um, back in that generation and also in our culture, they didn't speak about such things. Trauma was private. Tragedy was private. Our feelings and concerns were private. We didn't share a lot. We just kind of internally processed things. So I never knew what happened that drowning day, but it stayed with me. And later in grad school, in the 90s, I was taking a class about post-colonial writers, and there was a writer that had written about, written a famous line that was called, Can the Subaltern Speak? This is Gayatri Spivak. Can the subaltern speak? And by subaltern, she meant those in a nation who are dispossessed, those who are marginalized, those, don't, those who don't usually have a voice. Because who has a voice in the nation? It's usually those that have economic power or political power or they are of a certain gender or within a hierarchy, they are the head of a family. But I'm more interested in the stories of those who don't necessarily have power or who live in the mar margins of society or whose lives are quiet and they go about, go about their days. But what they're doing is so important to the weft and weave of their communities and their families. Can the subaltern speak? Well, the end of that article about can the subaltern speak, the answer was yes. The subaltern are speaking. They're speaking all the time. It's really a question of can we hear? Can those of us who are in positions of privilege, can we hear? Now, the article, to my recollection, didn't really talk about what it took to hear. It was really more about who was speaking. And so my novel kind of was about both those halves. What does it take to speak? And what does it take to hear? And it connected with it connected with the story from my from my childhood about this baby. And I thought, what if what if this child, this infant baby who had drowned, what if she could speak? 
what would she say about that drowning day? And I thought, what if for Aya that had accidentally left her in the tub for a moment too long, what would she say? Because that's what we've heard, that, that that's what happened. What would she say about what happened the drowning day? And so my story begins with that. It begins with the drowning of this infant. And of course, since the infant is dead and the ayah has been dismissed, I bring them back into the story in the supernatural realm. So in my book, the bathroom in which the baby has died is locked up during the night. But one day, the main character, Pinky, who's 13, she unbolts this bathroom door at night and she starts to become haunted by the ghost of this dead baby. And she doesn't know what's going on at first. And no one believes her. But it becomes more and more urgent for her to start to listen to the ghost of this dead baby. And as she does, I start to go into the second half of the question, which is, what does it take to listen? Because listening for Pinky comes at a great cost. It comes at a cost of people in her family questioning her sanity. It comes at a cost of the love of her grandmother, Maji. It comes at a cost even of her losing her place in her family. So it takes great courage to speak when you're not given a platform or a space to speak. And it takes great courage to listen and great compassion to listen and great love to listen. And I just want to take a moment and ask all of you to kind of think about where you are in your life what kind of narratives you've created? What kind of stories have you told about your life? And whose voices might be missing? We know, of course, that two people can have completely different experiences of the same event. And we also know from science that our memories are not objective, but utterly subjective. So we remember the thing, we remember things how we want to remember them. And of course, that's tinged with our emotionality. And so I would just ask you first to kind of feel into a place in which you maybe didn't have a voice. And a story was told for you or about you. And you came to believe that, maybe, that that's the way it was, because you never really gave legitimacy to the way you felt about what happened. 
or maybe you felt unseen or unheard. Now, if you were to go into that moment and imagine your way out of it, how would that go? You're in this painful moment of not being seen or heard, or maybe it's a funny moment, or maybe it's a dramatic moment, and you imagine your way as if you're narrating it instead of somebody else who's stronger or bigger or more powerful than you, saying, this is what happened. What if you were to tell that story? What would that story be? Hi, this is Taryn David, and you're listening to Life Force on Ruckus Avenue Radio. This process of listening is really difficult because it involves seeding power. If you are in a position of power over someone and you want to really listen, if you want to learn how to listen and to be compassionate as a listener, it's not that you look down upon the person you're listening as somehow lesser. It's that you look across at that person from your heart, and they are another person. And as you seed space, as you bring your presence, your purusha, your witness consciousness into the space, you allow that person to become bigger in your own eyes. And their bigness may threaten you. And that's why oftentimes, and that's why actually all the time, social justice movements involve a tremendous amount of work and effort. Because no one wants to cede power willingly. But that's what the process is to truly listen, is to give up your space, a little bit of your space, so that someone else has space. It's to be humble and to be open, to be vulnerable so that someone else can be. It's to come from the heart and not the ego. And I know that's so hard when you have these conversations and you feel like you want to go into blame and hatred and all of that. But I'm telling you, this process of listening, as terrifying as it is, I want to invite you in two ways to enter into this idea of listening and speaking. The first is if you can have the courage in a situation to really deeply know what your truth is in a situation, how you feel about something, what resonates inside of you, and to be able to say it. Because remember, in, although it doesn't seem like it, in our culture, and I'm talking about Eastern cultures and South Asian cultures, Indian culture, this creative force is not somewhere out there. It's inside of us. This divinity is inside of us. 
And so if we have divinity inside of us, if we have this shard of divinity inside of us, our truth and who we are is just part of that shard of divinity. And it's equally important to someone else's shard of divinity. And your work in this world is to see it, recognize it, and love it, connect with it, and radiate it out into the world. So I invite you first to connect and speak out in a story in which you have been written out of or in which you have been written wrongly. Add your layer. You don't have to say the other person is wrong. I'm talking about layering. Add your layer to the story so that it becomes more complex, more nuanced, more expansive. And then the second thing I would say to do this week is to listen, to really listen. Maybe you're a parent and you have a child and you think because you're the parent, what you say is more important than what the child has to say. Or maybe you're a husband and you think what you have to say is more important than what your wife has to say. Or maybe you're a boss and you think what you have to say is more important than what your employees have to say. Whatever that situation is, can you just step back, put what you think aside and just say, I'm going to listen, I'm going to hear. And sometimes this process of giving space and ceding space to another just doesn't happen like this. You can't just go up in a conversation to your kid and say, okay, I'm listening, whatever, tell me. It's about, sometimes it's about silence and just say, hey, you know what? I've had all these thoughts about this issue that's causing conflict between us, but I've never really kind of stopped to ask about how you feel or what you think. And I really want to hear. And you may not be ready to share with me right now, but when you are, I'm ready to hear. And maybe it's about just sitting on the bed next to them to let them know that you were really listening. And then when they do start talking, you can just continue to listen instead of feeling like you have to defend yourself or interrupt. Remember, seating space, it means allowing the other person to speak. I can add my layer to the story. And maybe, who knows, over time things can change. So just think about a story being many layers and so much complexity. And no one is right and no one is wrong. Everybody is just adding a layer. A layer, a layer, a layer. And somehow it creates this wholeness. And is it okay? Can we be okay with just being in that space of that space of uncertainty, that boundary? The more that I can step into that boundary space, the more that I can experience a sense of expansiveness about myself and everyone else. And that's really powerful. And I just want to end with maybe an exercise, a writing exercise. 
for you. And that would be to just write down maybe five things, five little nuggets that have resonated with you in life. Like the story of the child drowning when I was a girl and I went to India. That story stayed with me. Why? I mean, you hear so many stories as you grow up. Why did that story resonate with me? So what are the stories that resonate with you that you find yourself touching back upon? They could be the nuggets of your short story or of a play or of a TV pilot or of a novel. I'm really, really happy that you are on this journey with me to create art, to storytell. And we have so many more things we're going to talk about in the storytelling process. Of course, touching in with our life force and the creative process is huge. But I also want to talk about how we can resist narratives in our storytelling, how we can decolonize storytelling, because so many stories have been told about us as a nation and a people, not just from South Asia, but the global South, Latin America, Africa. How can we begin to tell stories? And we have, many, many writers have, but how can we continue to write stories that tell Tell us who we are from our perspective. And that involves decolonizing ourselves because we've been so deeply colonized. And I can say, for one, that I'm always amazed at the influences, especially the unconscious ones that come rising up. And I think a certain way. And when I go back, I realize that that's not actually true. That's something that was told to me about who I am. Most likely from colonizer narratives, right? So we're going to talk about also what it means to storytell as brown people. We're going to talk about how to storytell to heal trauma and to heal ourselves. I do a lot of healing work and I feel like that's incredibly important. And we're going to talk about storytelling as a way to connect to our ancestors. For me, this story connects to my ancestors. And in writing the story of Haunting Bombay, I had the amazing opportunity to, to interview my nani and nana and talk at length with my mom and dad about their childhoods. My grandparents were refugees during the partition of India to hear about their experiences. And for them... They had never spoken about these things. And the, this is what I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, was that many things are often not spoken about. They're held within us and, and silenced. I'm so glad you're here with me for this first episode. I will be dropping a new episode every two weeks on storytelling. And I hope you join me. And please connect with me at Radio Life Force on Instagram. DM me. Tell me what you think about this episode. Tell me what you like to hear about. And join me every Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Life Force on RuckusAvenueRadio.com. And watch and share the replay of this episode of Life Force 
on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Ruckus Avenue Radio. And we end with a singer that I just discovered, and his name is Hans Raj Raghuvanshi. I saw a video of him in performance, and he just carried this incredible life force, and it was so powerful and beautiful. And I want to end with a song as you reflect. His song is called Parvati Boli Shankar. So enjoy. Thank you for being with me today. Become the life force in your life and in the lives of all those around you. Parvati Boli Shankar Se Parvati Boli Shankar Se Suniye Bhole Kieran. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and I love listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio because I enjoy listening to music from around the world.